Raptors Reasonless is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts, and because GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, they're able to show you the best last-minute deals, with prices up to 60% off. Right now, the Toronto Raptors are in the middle of a seven-home game in nine-game stretch over the course of 19 days. Uh, they were on the road for over a week out west. Good time for you to get reacclimated with your Toronto Raptors. The Game Time app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate. Download the Game Time app in the Google Play or App Store and score last-minute deals on tickets up to 60% off. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Raptors Reasonless Podcast. I'm your host, Blake Murphy. Joining me from his motorcycle, Eric Green. Eric, what's going on, buddy? Black A. What's up? going on since i saw you uh an hour ago thank you for the ride home from practice you're welcome uh anytime we can connect on a more personal uh intimate some might even say incorrectly level uh it's it's good for the team chemistry i feel did you get a walter walk in before we recorded uh we got a walter walk out actually he's he's on walk number two of the day um yeah. he acknowledged my my existence so that was nice uh, did he miss he was you not while excited. you were on the road for a long he time was not ex- he was not excited when i returned home uh, as oh. I, I was getting into um somebody posited that i was gone for too long and now so he was mad at me uh so didn't want to give me the satisfaction of seeing seeming like he missed me uh I, I'm not sure I'm ready to believe that. Like my wife was home and, and she he likes her better. So maybe he just didn't even notice I was gone and was happy there was more room on the bed. That is entirely possible. Eric, how was the trip? You were in New Orleans. You were in Los Angeles for a few days. You were in Portland. How was it? It was really good. I, I you know, uh, you've been on the road too. Like these sometimes if the games are bad and the wake-ups are early like it can get grueling this one wasn't like that at all the team only had one night flight i believe and that was going from new orleans to la uh so if you want that might have been a factor in in their pretty solid play and their extra levels of energy despite their injuries they they only they flew during the day, which meant only one late check-in to their glamorous hotels. I had a good time. New Orleans is always great. LA, the weather is beautiful. Portland, I got a chance to see a new neighborhood I hadn't been to, uh, the Mississippi Avenue uh, neighborhood. Uh, and I saw Craig Finn of The Hold Study uh, performing there on the Tuesday night. Pretty good show. Uh, I, I didn't know mu- much of his solo work beforehand and i i got into one album in particular uh and you know as we talked about last week the games were pretty damn good so no complaints here yeah getting to fit craig finn in is uh nice i'm not the the hugest fan of the whole city or his solo stuff um but he's tremendous live and luckily hopefully my co-host on my other podcast uh columbia house party jake goldsby is not listening because he'd be very mad if i slandered craig finn and the hold steady Mm-hmm. On this podcast. Um, uh, also, I'm going to slowly yeah. build to a feud between you guys as my competing co-hosts. Yes. Uh, it's, this makes you Miss Elizabeth, I guess. I guess. It's a very... <laughs> it's the least sexy possible Miss Elizabeth <laughs> angle. Um, 
Maybe it makes me Lana to, to do a more <laughs> recent one that's way worse. Uh, let's just let's just pivot away from that. I, ca- I can't turn away from that uh, that storyline right now. It's so bad. And Lana is just bless her heart, not very good at speaking uh, several sentences in a row. Uh, it's really just terrible and enjoyable. Well, you're one to talk. Four sentences in a row. I am one to talk poorly, yes. Uh, last time we talked to you was between the Raptors' loss to the Los Angeles Clippers and their game against the Portland Trailblazers. They closed out that road trip with a very fun 114-106 victory against the Portland Trailblazers and then a not really any less fun 110-102 loss to the Dallas Mavericks. They finished that West Coast trip 3-2 and two despite losing Kyle Lowry and Serge Ibaka in the first game of that trip despite losing OG Ananobi for... The bulk of two games of that trip, uh, despite lose, being without Patrick McCaw, and then at one point losing Stanley Johnson. We don't know exactly when, but Stanley Johnson is now on the shelf as well. Eric, uh, we can let's let's give them the benefit of the doubt with this cliche, and let's include Monday's home game against the Charlotte Hornets. <laughs> it was uh, uh, you know forty eight hours after the Mavericks game. It's another change in time zone. The team loves to say, or has loved to say over the years, that the first home game back after road trip is basically the last game of that road trip. So let's say they went four and two. Let's be really generous, uh, just the to F- put a tidy the, bow. The FBG fart is what we're calling it now. Yes, first game back from a road trip. FBG, yeah. FGB fart. Okay, uh, four and two over that stretch. Without Lowry, without Ibaka, without some of OG and an OB, without McCaw, now without Johnson. That's a lot of withouts, and the Raptors have held up pretty well. Uh, you were on the trip for four of those five games. You got a, a really close look at how things are functioning. Uh, you were at the Charlotte Hornets game on Monday. Where where are you at with how the Raptors have looked through what should have been you know a ton of adversity the last two weeks? I think you've got to be pretty pleased with how things are going. They're still... You know, the inconsistencies with, like, a guy like Norman Powell, even Pascal Siakam, as great as he's been, and he's been great. Like, in that Dallas game, there were some really awkward turnovers, not his best game. So it's not like he's a a ready-made top option all of a sudden. But, I mean, we had just witnessed Kawhi Leonard make nine turnovers against the Raptors. So these things happen over the course of 82. Uh, I think their defense is really very good uh they you know their strategy pretty clearly when they go up against star players is to trap the hell out of them or or in some manner at least send two one and a half guys to them and then try to rotate back and it's allowing a lot of corner threes uh and you know in some games that's going to bite them and i think there might be as promising as as they've been as a shooting team I, I think there might be some regression coming there but just if you're just looking at the baseline effort and how this team is executing the schemes on, on defense uh, with how Nick Nurse wants them to play right now especially as they're undermanned I'm pretty I, I think you got to be pretty pleased I, I think if you're coming out with anything but an optimistic take from a nine and four start given the injuries and given, you know, a pretty damn tough schedule that even in some of the Raptors' good years, you know, going one and four on, on that trip, two and three would have been an accomplishment at full health. I think you're, I think, you know, I, I'm pretty impressed with what I've seen for sure. 
Yeah, I would agree with you. Not only nine and four, uh, they rank ninth in offensive rating with 109.4 points per hundred possessions. They rank seventh in defensive rating with 102.6 points allowed per hundred possessions. That uh, makes them one of only four teams that are in the top 10 in both offense and defense. And they rank fourth in net rating at plus 6.8 points per hundred possessions. Now, as much as Nick Nurse pointed to small sample size before Monday's I don't care, he said. I don't care. Eric asked uh, Nick Nurse about the offensive rating and defensive rating rankings. Nick Nurse said, I don't care. Basically, it's too early. Their sample's noisy. However, we're 13 games in, and these things begin to... We know that the standings begin to stabilize around 20 games. What the standings look like after 20, you know, is fairly predictive of what they'll look like the rest of the way. Obviously, the Raptors, like a lot of teams in a small window, are going to have some some caveats. They're missing guys. You know, they haven't had many games with their full roster together. Uh, however, that's a pretty damn good start, no matter how you spin it. Uh, perhaps most interesting within, after they, they set a franchise record with 40 assists on Monday against the Charlotte Hornets, they ranked sixth in the league in assist percentage, assisting on 63.2% of the field goals the team makes. Uh, Obviously, some of that is uh, buoyed, we'll say, by the fact that the team is knocking down a relentless rate of three-point shots. They are the best three-point shooting team in basketball at 40.5%. They are also sixth in the portion of the shots they take from outside the arc. So they are really hurting teams from outside. Eric, you mentioned some possible regression there. I, I would go so far as to say it's certain regression. I don't think... You know, even some there, very... There, there are some candidates who will certainly regress. Well, let's um, get into that because you wrote... Yeah. Actually, let's let's talk about your article from uh, Tuesday morning first. Uh, your article looked at how the Raptors have basically taken a lot of guys who were either non-shooters or had question marks about their shooting and turned them into at least semi-reliable three-point shooters. At the very worst, guys who are willing to take those shots... And we know that, you know, the willingness to take threes and taking threes in volume has an impact on the defense, even if maybe that three, those threes aren't dropping at a super high rate. Uh, the fact that the team is also dropping threes at a very high rate compounds that. Eric, what did you, you know, tell us a little bit about the article for anyone who hasn't read it yet and what's gone into the Raptors being able to turn non-shooters into at least moderately threatening shooters? Well, I think it's sort of a sequel to the piece I wrote after the Raptors drafted OG Ananobi, uh, because I remember it was, I believe the year before they drafted Ananobi and an assistant coach was talking to me before the game. And it's like, we never draft shooters and it's pretty hard to score when you don't have, you know, uh, or field a modern offense when, when you don't have that. And yet and if you think about who they've drafted over the last few years, like Norman Powell, Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi, all those guys, certainly for their for their position, weren't exceptional shooters. In some cases, they were bad shooters. And the Raptors have consistently bet that they will be able to turn those non-shooters into, again, passable shooters, which isn't... I, I don't think it's a concept that we've really given much time to until recently and they've shown that by uh you know recognizing some mechanical flaws simply by you know reps and reps and reps and putting in the work and 
by putting the players in the right positions to succeed and and you know an OG Ananobi's rookie year just sticking him in the corner more or less rather than having him you know coming off screens or or anything like that you can get a player's confidence up and you can get his ability up uh, through that and now we're seeing it with Terrence Davis again not a bad shooter in in college uh, he only uh, he maxed out in his first three years at 33.3%. He got up to 37% at the shorter distance in college. Like that doesn't scream great shooter. And he's up at 46% this year. And he mentioned after the game that uh, they've worked a lot on his balance. Uh, he, he mentioned how he was a bit pigeon-toed on his shot. I'm not sure if that was what going up or, or coming down, but... Uh, the idea is just to, you know, have your feet straight in line with the arc and not pointing to Less each other with the basket. Yes. And in line with the basket and not uh, pointing to each other. And he also uh, moved his arm a bit. So he had a, you know, this sounds pretty basic. Uh, so it wasn't blocking his vision, which is important. <laughs> Seeing the basket is a crucial part in, in making baskets very often. Uh, and, you know, Nick Nurse, uh, he talked about uh, at Thursday's practice, his ample history as working as a, you know, a shot, shot coach. Or, yeah, I think that term gets thrown around maybe a bit much, but it was certainly being used today. Jim San is their biggest, is sort of permanently a development coach. And uh, he's the guy who you've seen work with Pascal Siakam and, and OG Ananobi on their shots and their pregame rituals pregame routines, practice routines. Uh, they're hesitant to get into more detail about what they do. We know about the NOAA system. We know about how they actually, you know, keep track of makes in practice, you know, not just in games. Nick Nurse mentioned today, uh, Thursday, I should say, how it's not Thursday today, it's Tuesday. Um, you know, it's a day that starts with T. Um, about how once they see something going awry with either the you know the form or the release point after a single game they'll bring it up to a player maybe so there's obviously a, the raptors have a great development system and part of that is putting a huge onus on shooting uh and and having ananobi at i think 54 percent and davis at 46 percent that's not something you purchase expect to continue because the best shooters in the world generally don't shoot those percentages but yeah those are matt to, thomas percentages yeah uh but when you when you throw those in with the other guys sort of near their high end for the most part you get the best three point like nobody else is really overperforming uh in terms of you know what they've done in the past those are and the if they guys. are it's slight right like yeah. pascal siakam's at 36.1 percent which maybe feels high because he's shooting so many more above the break but he was a 36 37 percent three-point shooter last year more corner oriented of course but you can kind of see that as maybe a natural progression van vliet's just shy of 40 i think that's where he is as a shooter um and that's with like i think something like 25 or 30 of van vliet's threes have been um, pull-up threes so that's not even just catch and shoot which he gets a lot more of when he's playing alongside lowry that's a lot of him pulling up that's a lot of him in two-for-one situations which he's so fond of um and then you look at a couple other guys like yeah lowry and gasol are both over 40 percent but Lowry is a really good shooter and hasn't played in half the game, so he's not floating it that much. And Gasol is only taking three games, so even if that comes down to, you know, the high 30s where he's settled in for the last couple of years of his career, you're not going to see uh, a big dip 
because he doesn't have that much volume. And then you even look at a guy like Norman Powell, who even though he's been scoring at career high levels this season, this season is only at 33.3%. Now his three point percentage has been all over the place during the course of his career. And I feel like I have less of a handle on what his true talent three point (laughs) shooting level is than anyone else on the team. Uh, But you know, maybe that, maybe that nudges up. He was at a, he was a 40% shooter last year. He just, Happens to have also been at other times a 29% shooter, a 33% shooter, and kind of everything in between. And then obviously the big one is like, even if a handful of these guys regress downward, well, Matt Thomas is only shooting 56.5% on threes. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's that's probably going to be up around 80, 90% eventually. So that'll balance well, out mean, some of it too. Yeah. I mean, past performance is a good indicator of future performance in general. Um, but I think the key thing you mentioned also, and in, in just speaking developmentally, you mentioned it with Siakam, how his diet of, of shots has changed. Well, like quietly, Ananobis are changing, is changing too, not as drastically. He doesn't have the ball in his hands as often, but he was a ball handler in a pick and roll last night and they went under it. Uh, and he just shot it, made it, uh, an- another time gets the ball, sidesteps, uh, a you know strong two strong contests I should say from Devonte Graham and and cans those and they're not always going to go in but this is a guy who we in the first year there was a lot of talk about how teams were closing short to him and he would have that hesitation and now that they're respecting his shot a bit more and they're closing with a bit more oomph he has adjusted to where he can you know, take one dribble and still keep himself behind the arc and, uh, instead of, you know, stepping in or instead of being forced to put it on the ground and maybe uh, take away the advantage that is given when a, when a um, defender jumps out at you. So those those things are small but meaningful developments. Uh, Terrence Davis has shot... I don't know. I'm sort of amazed he's at 46%. It looks like there's a lot of moving parts there. So Um, my thing with Terrence Davis is if we could measure, like if we had super accurate tracking data, I feel like he has the largest average miss when he misses threes. (laughs) Like he just, like like, he has airballed a few. He has a couple that like clunk off the backboard. When he misses, he misses, but he's 13 for 28. Yep. Um, it doesn't, I want to talk I'm, a little bit more about, you mentioned OG Ananobi's growth, and it is it is more than just a shooting. It's that operating and pick and roll a little bit. There was one opportunity last night where I think it was in semi-transition. He just kind of decided that he was going to, it didn't look like a play where he should be driving, but he just saw something, and, and I think he thought he could get the defender's hip, and he just took it at them and kind of created a bucket out of nowhere driving. I, I think all of these things, obviously, what Ananobi is doing is great on its own. Like if you can average 12 points per game on 14% usage and 70% true shooting, like whatever else is going on around that, you're doing pretty well. Um, The fact that he's also, you know, blocking shots and coming up with steals and playing all defense level defense is great. But I think what's fun to think about in um, with his offensive development and him Doing these little things like being able to attack a closeout, being able to pump fake a closeout and sidestep it, 
being able to work just a little bit of pick and roll so that when they run those kind of pitch weaves across the top, teams can't assume that he's just going to dribble hand off the ball after one dribble. I think that all of those things, when you project what the Raptors will look like healthy with some of their best lineups where Lowry and and Van Vliet are both out there, where Siakam, you know, whether it's Gasol or whether it's Ibaka, um, what what Ananobi's improving on makes those best Raptors lineups like it helps when Ananobi's with the bench lineup with good lineups it may it's exponentially more important because Ananobi would ostensibly be the fifth at deadliest the fourth option that opponents are worrying about well now suddenly if he's a little more dynamic and he's avail- he's able to take advantage of those situations where a team does send two to the ball in pick and roll or they do double Pascal Siakam in the post um I feel like you know that's kind of a What's the word? I'm thinking like a video game when like it's it's a multiplier when Ananobi can do that alongside better players where defenses just won't be able to afford to give them uh, the attention. And we've seen that the Raptors starting lineup uh, when everyone is healthy was very, very good in a in a fairly small sample. They were just rolling teams. And then it's been pretty good. This patchwork one as well. So I think Ananobi's growth obviously important long-term for the future, obviously important because he's a 22-year-old asset and you you want to see him do well. Um, but in terms of what their best lineups are going to look like, those incremental offensive improvements uh, have the potential to like exponentially make those best lineups tougher to defend. For sure. He's, you know, you need him out there because of his defense. You need him out there to save Pascal Siakam some reps on that end, some, some heavy leverage reps. Um, but the growth he's making there is very meaningful within the context of, of what this team wants to be now. Forget about the future, what this team wants to be right now, this season. And, you know, as we come toward the trade deadline, if these things, you know, keep on trending in this direction, it's going to make a difference with the decisions that Masai Ujiri makes. We don't need to go there yet. It's mid-November, not mid-January, but, uh, uh, it's, you know, the way things are going now, this team isn't a seller, you know, and, and it, it is developments like Ananobi, you know, improving 10% on the offensive end while improving, you know, 25 to 30% on the defensive end that make that a reality. It's, it's not just what the players in question are bringing themselves. So that's a little look backwards at what has happened. We're going to take a little look at what's coming ahead, including Fred Van Vliet on the heels of getting an and one shoe deal, demanding the maximum at practice on Tuesday. We'll talk about that after this. Ever wonder how to get the hottest new sneakers, the ones that barely hit shelves? The answer is StockX, a revolutionary new marketplace for buying and selling 100% authentic sneakers, streetwear, watches, and handbags. If you're looking to add that Air Jordan 1 fearless UNC Chicago to your rotation, or maybe you are feeling nostalgic and you want to fire up some and ones in honor of Fred Van Vliet, you can find it all and more on StockX, sometimes even for prices lower than retail. Want in on all the hype? Check out StockX.com slash bball for a surprise offer that won't be around long. That's stockx.com slash bball. Check it out today. All right, Eric. Fred Van Vliet said it Tuesday in practice, meant it 100% seriousness, talking about his growth alongside Pascal Siakam over the years, from G-leaguers to sitting on the bench watching, to being a part of the bench mob, to being starters, to now being option A and option B. Fred Van Vliet wants the max. He wants to siphon off some of that max money, Eric. 
Well, I think Giannis takes less than the max to come to Toronto in 2021, so it's fine. Like, what are people worried about? It's fine. Um, uh, yeah. Fred VanVleet did not ask for the max. Uh, we were joking around a little bit about it on Twitter after Tuesday's practice. He did make a joke about uh, hoping to stick around Siakam long enough to get some of that max. Um, but I think he was as much talking about taking Pascal's money as getting max from the Raptors. We don't need to get into a discussion of whether Fred VanVleet could command the max or what his salary will be. It's something I'm going to write about soon. Um, it was, you know, that's more of an off-season, early off-season article for me generally. However... Uh, it's been a popular question because Fred VanVleet is playing out of his mind. 17.2 points per game, 4.2 rebounds, 7.6 assists, 1.8 steals, 39.5% on threes. And at this point, if he's not in, you know, he's if he's not on the team, he's in the conversation for all defense at the point guard position. Granted, it's only 13 games and only five of those have been with him as the lead guard. But it, it, assuming we've got another week or so here before Kyle Lowry returns. The initial timeline was two weeks before he'd be reevaluated. That was uh, last Friday. So, you know, Friday, this coming Friday would make two weeks. So, you know, maybe that after that Atlanta game on Saturday, we get a, a firmer update on Kyle Lowry. Anyway, Fred Van Vliet has at least a couple games left as the sole starting point guard. Eric, what are you looking for from him over this next little window? And what do you think he's shown over this last little bit that he can carry over for when Kyle Lowry's back alongside him? First of all, he's been excellent. I think even when the shooting hasn't been there, uh, and this goes to on-off numbers, which aren't necessarily fair in this case, because when Van Vliet's off, like no point guard is on. Like it's just a bunch <laughs> of guys trying to be point guard. Uh, as somebody once told me, on-off on splits generally tell you more about what you leave behind, not what you're providing. Um, but he's been, yeah, he's been excellent. He's, you know, everything that you would hope, uh, a, you know, floor general would be uh, while adding a lot of the things that Lowry's added, frankly, over the last years. He, 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 he knows that they need a bit more offense, so he's willing to expand his shots to those pull-up threes that you mentioned earlier. He's, uh, you know, more relentlessly put getting the team into multiple actions and, and making sure they get, you know, three or four shots at, at creating something over 24 seconds as opposed to, uh, you know, just pounding the ball on the floor and waiting for one thing to maybe develop. And that's as much the offense as it is Van Vliet, but he makes things hum and, and, you know, the bench has certainly had some moments, but you could see during that second quarter against Charlotte, they really looked uh, rudderless out there. And that was without Van Vliet and he's going to need a bit. to be without a rudder. Yeah. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta have some oars if you're without a rudder <laughs> and then you gotta do extra work. I think um, the one concern that still exists in Fred Van Vliet's profile, and obviously he's producing at, at a very high level even with this, you know, his his true shooting percentage is at 53.7, which is, you know, just a shade below league average, but he's also carrying more of a load than, you know, he's had to in the past. So I think you give him some leeway there for adjusting. Uh, he's only hitting 51.6% of his shots at the rim. I had thought, you know, early in the year when I looked, uh, I know he had a, a shooting slump fairly early on, but I think he's gotten qualitatively better at finishing. The way he attacks 
bodies the way he protects the ball and, and the amount of spins and bounces he has around the rim has all improved but it's not yet resulting in a higher rate of finishing he has consistently for his career been one of the worst finishers at the rim in basketball i think a mix of you know the fact that he's six feet and one half inch uh the fact that a lot of the time in those bench units last year he would be forced to create something very late in the shot clock and, and maybe you don't get to pick the best shots you want uh, but him still being down in the low 50s for finishing is probably about the only thing left concerning in his profile right yeah, and I mean, I think the Clippers game was a very good example of that coming to a head, and it touches on exactly what you said. Like, how much of his is it his fault, and how much of it is, like, he's trying to make, uh, you know, chicken salad out of lineups that feature, you know, beyond Siakam, like a bunch of untested offensive players in, in many cases, like... And he is the guy who the ball comes to so often when there's six left on the clock and the first three efforts to try and create something has resulted in nothing. Um, I think it's going to be a weakness for him. It's just, uh, like you, I, I see the way he uses his body. He uses the rim, too, in order to shield his shots from defenders. He, you know, once a game, he gets the ball to basically go off the glass and sit on the top rim for, you know, two or three seconds before falling. I think he's actually pretty damn good at that. And he's making the most out of, of what he can do, but it's going to be a weakness because he's he's not like a savant like Kyrie Irving. Uh, he's not, he's not, and he's not explosive enough to, um, to be a really high efficiency player at that position. I, I, I think when you get Kyle Lowry back, I, I think it's very possible that his numbers at the rim could go up just because he'll be attacking, you know, closeouts more than attacking a set defense. Uh, and, uh, you know, this is also probably a decent time to mention that he's rarely healthy. And I think, you know, suffering that ankle injury against New Orleans, uh, I I'm not sure if he's recovered from that fully. I I'm betting the answer is no. And, Look, this is a thing too. It's durability, and he's managed to play through it, and and even at not a hundred percent full health, play incredibly important minutes and many incredibly important minutes and very good minutes for the Raptors. So, you know, when looking at his free agency outlet outlook, yeah, that's something you consider. But overall, I think if you're not happy with what he's doing out there, uh, you have some pretty high expectations. All right, I mentioned Kyle Lowry's. Injury status. Let's do a quick whip around. Um, practice was not open. There was no on-court availability on Tuesday. So we don't know if OG Ananobi practiced in a mask or goggles. He said after Monday's game, after he got poked in the eye again somehow, uh, that he's considering it, but he just hasn't gotten comfortable with it yet. So that's why he hasn't used it in a game yet. That could be coming. We don't know. Serge Ibaka is out of a boot. Still no timetable for his return, but he says he's feeling a little better and he wasn't you know, limping too badly or anything like that. Uh, Patrick McCaw is around the team and walking around. He wasn't on that West Coast trip at all. So that was uh, that was nice to see. Stanley Johnson now on the shelf at least two weeks with uh, what's considered a fairly minor stress reaction in his groin. But it's something that's been nagging at him a little bit and they wanted to get right. So that is your roundup of all the guys who are hurt. As we talked about on last week's episode, I feel like it's worth refreshing just quickly here. All of those injuries have opened up some opportunity for the end of the bench. Most of those players 
have played pretty well. Uh, O'Shea Brissett makes his NBA debut in garbage time on Monday. Minus 21.7 blocks plus minus on the season and for his career now. Minus 15.9 PER. I'm ready to write off O'Shea Brissett as a prospect after those five minutes. Dewan Hernandez, not much better. But he's on the board. You on, yes. Uh, both of those guys also might get to play in the the rare doubleheader on Wednesday. Raptors 905 playing at 11 a.m. and then the Raptors at night. Uh, we know for sure Dewan Hernandez will be down. We don't know O'Shea Brissett 100% yet. But I would anticipate both of those guys playing in the doubleheader. Uh, the guys we're actually talking about, though, who have received some run. Uh, Terrence Davis, I feel like we covered pretty well a little earlier on. We should probably talk... Chris Boucher and Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, if only because I kind of think there's only a spot for one of them in the rotation when everyone's healthy. Like, they might both still play as Nurse kind of mixes and matches and plays based on matchups and maybe goes to 11 at times. Um, Not like a full five-man bench unit, but he might play different guys with different units. Uh, But I think for the most part, you look and there's a fourth front court spot or if you prefer a third forward spot uh, and one of Hollis-Jefferson or Boucher well, man, that spot. Boucher's had a pretty solid start to the year, even though he hasn't shot particularly well. I think Hollis Jefferson in his six appearances has probably jumped Chris Boucher and probably jumped just about anyone on the bench, I would say. Would you, how do you, how are you feeling about the bench battles for minutes once guys are back, Eric? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, beyond Terrence Davis, uh, what Rondé, Hollis Jefferson, and even including Davis, I, I think what RHJ is doing is incredibly important for this year's team. He's just, you know, you can really see his intuitiveness, um, his, uh, you know, knowing where to slip to uh, when, even though he's not a shooter, he he manages to find space. He, he makes the next pass pretty well, very well, I should say, uh, for a player with his skill set. And that's obviously incredibly important when you're not a shooter. Uh, if you're just diving to the net a bunch of times when that lane gets closed, you better be able to find the next passer. Uh, and his perimeter defense is, you know, I always knew it was a strength. It's it's better than I remember from seeing the Nets only so often. Um, by the nature of his game, he's going to pick up some loose ball fouls. And that happened yesterday a few times when the Hornets were either in or about to be in the bonus. And, and that's, you know, in a closer game, that's something we might be talking about a little bit. And uh, that's obviously can be a problem with Boucher, too. They're both guys that hit the offensive glass hard, uh, which makes sense given their their skills. Uh, but he's been awesome. And I think, you know, that's why you were so high on him coming into the year. I, I think if there's one player out of the whole bench who you can safely add to the fully healthy rotation. It should probably be him. And I'm just wondering if he will dunk this year as a Toronto Raptor, because it seems like he's going out of his way not to. Um, yeah, we're going to have to dig into that. He has dunked before. Like I, that, you know, when I did a quick Google search, there were many instances of him posterizing various players. So maybe if someone uh, touches his hat, ooh, let's, uh, let's not go there. Spicy. Spicy. Um, Matt Drama. Thomas is the other guy I want to mention just quickly because I think Thomas, even before guys got hurt, he was getting like, uh, you know, he had a couple quick cameos. He's a guy who's shooting, you know, if you look at 
obviously there's a role for a specialist sometimes, a guy who could just come in as an ATO or end of quarter or something like that and bang a three. That's helpful. Um, you know, then you start looking at, you know, Lowry and bench or Siakam and bench units and things like that. And as good as Terrence Davis and Rondé Hollis Jefferson have been, and as good as Serge Ibaka is as a, a bench center, he's better as a rolling and short rolling bench center at this point. You still don't have, unless Terrence Davis is this guy from outside, which he's probably not a 46% guy. Let's, you know, I think you could safely hope for 36. Uh, but if, if that's who the bench guys are, there's maybe a spot for Matt Thomas still. Uh, because, you know, even if Patrick McCaw is back too, Matt Thomas is the guy who can shoot. And I think if you think back to the 2017-18 bench mob and CJ Miles role, where Miles' defense had started slipping at that point, and he really wasn't a factor doing much else other than the threat of CJ Miles helped open things up for, you know, what at that point was a front court of Siakam and Pirtle that had no outside shooting. And, you know, Van Vliet was still fairly unestablished. DeLon Wright didn't have much of an outside shot. And those units were good because they could hide Miles's um, declining defense and they could use Miles's spacing to open things up. Do you think Matt Thomas sees some minutes in kind of those hybrid one star and bench units when guys are healthy? Or is Thomas kind of going to slide back into a into a role where it's like, hey, we're, we're down eight and we need threes in a hurry? Yeah, I think he's behind Davis and Powell for now and that all of a sudden it's hard to get this many you sort of backcourt players into a game um i am curious if they sort of give him more of the green light to start taking difficult shots it's pretty pretty clear that teams have started trying to just make him move as much as possible and and not get his feet set um and he seems to my eyes he seems a bit hesitant to take some some shots um when he's slightly off balance um and when you're such a good shooter this was something you know people remember with Jason Capono you sort of you wonder if the line between a good shot and a bad shot changes just because um you are that capable uh from there but uh, i think if his defense manages to nudge up he could grab that consistent role where he's you know getting 12 14 minutes a night maybe I don't think, especially as, I mean, it goes without saying, especially as these guys, you know, OG Ananobi and Terrence Davis continue to shoot, you know, above their heads. uh, It's not in the cards, but there will be situations where that's not happening for the roster and uh, he will be necessary. And, you know, he, you can really see what he does to a defense if he's taking the shots or not. Like it, it, bring it spaces the defense out way more and and that's going to help your Kyle Lowry in the lineup you mentioned but uh you know whoever's whoever's a primary ball handler in those roles uh in in those lineups it it definitely helps uh to have Thomas out there can I point out something that's only that's only going to be amusing to me but I just came across it as I was making as I was setting up Hernandez and Brissette earlier you may so, DeJuan Hernandez checked in with six minutes left last on Monday night. O'Shea Brissett checked in with five minutes left. Because of what happened in that one minute, DeJuan Hernandez has a net rating of 14.3 on the season, and Brissett's is minus 16.7. <laughs> there's, there's a great example of why not to use small sample stuff like that. Uh, large sample, though, Pascal Siakam has moved into first on the team in net rating, jumping Mark Gasol. Pretty much everyone in the rotation 
is a positive. Uh, you'd have to go all the way to Serge Ibaka, uh, who's only played 183 minutes, obviously, because of his injury. And he's only a minus 0.5 points per 100 possessions. So a pretty good sign that even through all of this, the Raptors are winning minutes with just about anyone and any combination of guys on the floor. Um, Stanley Johnson and Patrick McCaw do not have robust net ratings. Malcolm Miller also doesn't. But none of those guys have played more than 40 minutes. So for the most part, they've made through um, with just about whoever's out there, which is a great sign uh, of depth on a team, which I think has uh, been pretty pretty damn clear the last week or so. Uh, it's going to need to be clear a little while longer. The Raptors, looking ahead, host the Orlando Magic on Wednesday. They play the Orlando Magic three times this season before November is out, coming off of a five-game playoff series with them. It's too much Magic. I'm very fond of the Magic. I love Terrence Ross. I had picked Jonathan Isaac to win most improved player, which I should have qualified as most improved player not on the Raptors, since the Raptors currently have like the top four candidates for most improved player. Uh, but this is a little much magic, even for me. Uh, then the, uh, they're at Atlanta to play the Hawks on Saturday. It's a one-game road trip with a, an extra day off beforehand. Then they come home. They've got Philly and the Knicks in Atlantic Division week. Eric, what are you looking for? The next couple games, uh, let's say the Orlando at Atlanta and Philly games. We'll probably talk to the people after those three. What are you looking at here? I love the Siakam-Isaac matchup. It's, uh, you know, it's even as Siakam found his way during the the playoff series last year, he's a really fascinating, uh, fa- it's a fascinating matchup for him. There's so many similarities in terms of just body types. Uh you know, he's not quite the huge physical defender that Pascal Siakam's had trouble with in the past. Um, and that will be, it will be interesting from uh, the Philly, in the Philly game to see who gets thrown at him uh, and how, how he responds to that. So I'll, I'll be watching Siakam closely this week. If Lowry's back for the Philly game, Philly projects as one of the hardest teams to play big against, play small against, I should say. They are ginormous. Uh, is Ben Simmons still out? I believe so. Uh, I think so, but he, you know, we're talking a week away. So yeah. Uh, so if they're fully healthy and, and Lowry's back, that's definitely a matchup I'm uh, looking forward to seeing. Uh, Atlanta, Trey Young, tons of fun. Vince Carter. Eh, I don't know. I have nothing left to say about Vince Carter at this point. Uh, the Hawks are fun. Uh, Trey Young's putting up abs- absurd numbers, so uh, I, I wonder if the Raptors' defense uh, and sort of star-stopping or star-slowing defense will be up to the task against him and, and how a young player handles that. And, you know, I, I, I don't hate power forward, so the Knicks. Yeah, yeah, great, great. Love, love the Knicks. At least, hey, RJ's here, and yeah, Iggy is killing in the G League so far. So maybe he'll get the uh, get a nod in that one too. He should, um, just to make it slightly more interesting. All right, so Magic Hawks, 76ers, and then maybe next before the next time we talk to you, Eric. Let's cut it off there. Uh, I think we've I think we've done enough. Not a lot has changed since the last time we talked. Hopefully, next time we talk, someone's back in the lineup, and we can see how things look like that. Eric, thanks so much, man. Appreciate it. Thank you. See ya.